Death is not easy to talk about. We don't want to think about it, the finality of it. We'd rather distract ourselves from the ending we know we can't escape. But what if we looked at death as more of a beginning than an ending? Right, like a butterfly can't be a butterfly until the caterpillar dies in the cocoon. I mean, death becomes a conversion, a metamorphosis, a necessary action in becoming a glorious butterfly. But could the same be true for us? I mean, that's what Easter's all about. Because of Easter, because of what Jesus has done, death is no longer an ending, no longer a final farewell, a dark and cold conclusion. No, it's a transition a necessary step into a glorious resurrection. Jesus died so that we could live. This is love. I'm excited to finish this series today on This is Love. We started this on Easter Sunday, and I'm excited about just talking about what we're going to talk about today, and that is the fact that love makes all things new. This is a love, when we're talking about this is love, Jesus on the cross dying for us, this is a love that makes all things new. Now, we've been talking since Easter about how the resurrection changes everything. Because of the resurrection, we really clearly understand Jesus' death. If the resurrection didn't take place, it would not make much sense to us. He wouldn't be who he said he was, and Christianity really would collapse in on itself if he hadn't raised from the dead, but he did. He died for our sins and in our place, and he took the penalty of our own sin upon himself. We've talked about that the last two weeks. Because Jesus rose from the grave three days later, however, he broke the power of sin and death in the grave. We've just sang at least two songs that talk about that. And we'll talk more about it today, but I, I want you to know that, you know, these are not just things that we say, they're things that we live, they're things that we practice, things that we just know in our psyche all the time if we're Christians. Today we're going to see that God is in the process of setting everything right, making all things new. This is love. This is love, folks. Love that forgives and frees us, like we talked about on Easter. Love that conquers the grave, like we talked about last week. And today, a love that makes things new. So let's talk for a minute about Christian hope because uh, I think sometimes we misunderstand it. But I want you to know that Christian hope involves making things new. That's a key part of hope. That's a key part of Christian hope. What what does it mean to make things new? Well, think about a a child's desire for a toy or a doll or whatever it is. Uh, Now, when I was a child, things were a lot different, as I'm sure you recognize We used to get the Sears and Roebuck catalog around the 1st of November. And we would thumb through the catalog and circle the things that we thought we'd like to have for Christmas. And and, uh, if you were really the monkey word catalog, you know, and and you get to see, you know, circle those things. And and there was a couple of other catalogs that weren't as nearly as important. But that's how we kind of told mom and dad what we wanted for Christmas. Listen, even though the catalogs are long gone, uh, children have not changed Uh, kids still want things for Christmas, right? They have these desires, these wonderful things that they want, and they're desperate to get them, right? I mean, if if anybody loves them at all, they'll get this toy. They love this toy. And then on Christmas, if they got this toy, man, they were just so elated, right? Just incredibly elated. I remember my daughters uh, wanted the Barbie Dream House with some assembly required, about four hours worth of assembly required, actually, 
But they, man, they loved this thing. I mean, when they saw that on Christmas morning, they just went crazy. The two girls just thought it was the greatest thing in the whole world. And man, they played with it like nonstop for a few days. And, and then I think the door fell off or, you know, a wall fell out. or whatever. And, and this happens a lot with, terrible, with, with uh, toys, does it? Something terrible happens. It breaks. It breaks. And then, of course, great sorrow and lamenting takes place. How terrible is life? How could this happen to me that Barbie's dream house would have a wall fall off? Now, as a parent, whenever this would happen with any kind of a toy, and, uh, you know, we'd try to make this right. We, we, would, we would want to, to make this right. And if it was truly broken, we might say things like, well, perhaps, you know, for your next birthday or for your next Christmas or whatever, mom and dad, or if it's really expensive, grandma and grandpa can get that for you. <laughs> right? And then we would hear that common cry that I'm sure if you've had children who could talk, you've heard this, I don't want a new one, I want this one. Right? Because, and they may not be able to express why exactly, but there is something inherent in us that doesn't want a new one. We want the old one fixed. We want the old one like new, we don't want a new one. Now, don't we also view the world this way? We don't want another planet. I don't know anybody who legitimately, I mean, I got some nerdy friends who, you know, are really into Star Wars, really into Star Trek, really into all this stuff, and they, you know, I kind of talk about that, but, but I mean, legitimately, legitimately, nobody really wants a new planet, do they? Is anybody like, hey, it's time to just, it's time to just leave the good old Earth. We need to get on, get on Mars and just live there and just... This thing's going down the tubes. Let's just get out of here. We don't want a new world. We want this planet fixed. We want this world to be different. We want this world without disease, without problems. We want it without enemies, without evil. We want things that are going on to be stopped. We want a world without broken relationships. We don't want all new things. We want all things to be made new. And there's a difference. There's a difference. We see the brokenness in our world, the failure of systems and structures and every other thing, cultures. But we also, if we're really honest with ourselves, we see up close in our own hearts the failures that befall us, our temptation to be selfish, to be greedy, to be prideful, full of lust and envy. If we're honest, we see those things. Now, historically, we see that just as the world has seemed to find prosperity and contentment at certain places, evil in the world rears its ugly head to remind us how, of how deeply broken mankind is. Now, I don't speak of this by uh, personal history, uh, but before World War I, uh, you know, Europe was in a really great position. There was a sense of prosperity. There was a, a sense of, of real optimism about the future. Uh, uh, Europe was really in a state of just uh, kumbaya. And they were loving and looking forward to what the future had for them. And then World War I breaks out. And everything turns around. 
the United States before World War II. We were excited to stay out of the war. We were excited to be out of it. Uh, The United States was very prosperous. And then Pearl Harbor was bombed and we got sucked into that war. Even 9-11 was a reminder that when things look to be going really, really well and things are prosperous and we can be very you know, excited about the future and everything is just going great, evil and sin comes to remind us of how fallen things really are. Sometimes I think we ask ourselves, what is God doing? What is he going to do about this? Is he going to do anything about this? I mean, is he, he just going to let this go? Or is he going to do something? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 57. Here's what it says. It says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We see in this passage this wonderful picture of Christian hope, of hope in the future. But sometimes I think we misunderstand hope, or we only understand it slightly or in parts, Let's take a look for a moment at what Christian hope is not and how sometimes I think we get a little uh, misguided in what Christian hope is so that we can better understand what it really is, okay? First, Christian hope is not compensation. We aren't waiting for God to make things up to us, okay? It's it's not a, hey, someday when I die or someday when the second coming happens, uh, Jesus is going to make up to us. I have to go through all these terrible things and all this terrible stuff in in my home, in my life, in my culture. I've had this disease. I've had this problem. I've had this broken relationship. But someday Jesus is going to make it up to me. Folks, that's not biblical. God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe us anything because we've had to endure this broken world. We're the ones that broke it. He doesn't owe us anything. And so Christian hope is not about somehow... Uh, being compensated in the future. Christian hope is also not about explanation. Now, sometimes it's true that we go through a very difficult time in life, we don't understand what's going on, and later we have a better understanding of it. Yes, that's true. But our hope is not grounded in the fact that someday all of this will make sense. Someday we will know what has been going on all along, all around us. I don't know that that's true. The Bible does say it's true that we'll see more clearly in the future when we are with Christ. Some things will look, look clear, but there's no guarantee that we'll have ever have God's complete mind and understanding on everything or even why he has done what he has done. There's no guarantee that we'll know all of that. So Christian hope is not about someday getting an explanation. It's also 
not about evacuation. Of course, we look forward to heaven. We look forward to sometime uh, in the future, if we're Christians, to being with Christ. But uh, just getting out of this mess of a world and being in God's presence is not the foundation of our hope. Of course, we look forward to it, but it's not the complete uh, picture of God's redemption story. Think about this for a minute. Let's say your child is getting bullied on a, on a playground at school. And, and in the middle of all that, your child looks to the bully and says, just you wait until my mom or dad get here, then you'll be sorry. Right? So then you get to the school and your child explains what's been going on and you respond with one of these three things. Let's say you respond with compensation. You know, let's say they tell you exactly what's been happening, how this bully's been picking on them and calling them names and embarrassing them in front of the other students, and you say, hey, yeah, that's too bad. Let's go get some ice cream. That'll make it better. That's not, that's not good. <laughs> that's not a good response. No child is going to be happy with that, even though they really love ice cream. Uh, some kids, you know, they, if they go through this, this explanation, uh, hope is not about expl explanation in the sense that if you say, hey, some kids are just like that, yeah, it's probably poor upbringing. That's just how they are. Sorry, son. That's not a good response. And evacuation is not a very good response either. Really? They're being mean to you? Well, let's get out of here. Okay? These aren't adequate responses. These aren't adequate responses to a bully, are they? Because we still have questions. How will the bully be stopped? How will the playground be safe? How will my child ever have fun again? What we really want is what Christian hope really is all about. It's about intervention and restoration. You know, we, when we find out that our kid's being bullied, first of all, I don't know about you, but I want to give that kid the look. Don't you? You know the look. You probably got it from your parents. I've given it plenty to my kids, the look. Some respond better to it than others, but I've got a pretty good the look. We want to do that, and then we want to bring it to the attention of teachers or principals so that it can be stopped, right? We want to intervene on behalf of our child. We want to restore order to the playground so our kid and others can play in peace and harmony. I mean, we have good intentions here. Folks, God is way better than our best intentions. God's plan is far greater than our best response. There is coming a day when God will make all things right because of the resurrection. Hope is about understanding that God is going to make things right. And I don't mean right by giving us what we deserve. That's the last thing I want from God is what I deserve, right? If he gives me what I deserve, I'll be separated from him forever because of my sinful and selfish ways. What I want from him is his plan of hope, love, mercy, grace that we get and we have access to because of the resurrection. And so the reality is God is going to make all things right. There is coming a time when God is going to get to school and he's going to hear how bad the world is, although he already knows. But just in the analogy, and he's going to intervene and he's going to restore. The fact is creation will be made new because of the resurrection. It will be made new because of the resurrection. Just like a child wants their toy to become new again, the world will indeed become new again. 
In the book of Revelation, the apostle John gets a vision for what God will someday do. And hopefully very soon, look at Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the earth, first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. God says, Mark it down, folks. I'm going to make all things new. This is what should fill us with hope. God is going to make all things in the universe right. He is going to intervene in history again and restore things to their original order and plan. Christian hope is really about new creation. You see, what we really desire deep down is a sort of, a sort of Easter for the world, right? When God will do for the heavens and the earth what he did for Jesus on Easter. It's sort of wanting a resurrection for the universe. Just like Jesus came back to life through the resurrection with a new glorified body, the world will be brought back to its original order like in the Garden of Eden before sin and evil wrecked it. That's pretty good news. That's really good news, in fact. And I feel like Ronco right here. But wait, there's more. While it's true that creation will be made new because of the resurrection, here's the best news of all, folks. You can be made new because of the resurrection. You can be made new because of the resurrection. Today can be the first day of a new creation for you. Today can be the day that God starts putting everything in your life back in order. Yes, we're still going to be surrounded by a broken, sinful, evil world, but God will start making you new on the inside. Listen, there's a biblical principle uh, that goes all throughout the scriptures. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Just because we put our faith and trust in Jesus doesn't mean that all of a sudden I have this Christian bubble around me that protects me from anything bad that happens. The fact is, when a natural disaster happens, the tornado hits the, the just and the unjust, those who are Christians and those who aren't Christians. When a massive flood takes place, everybody's affected. God doesn't take us out of this world and put some kind of a plastic bubble wrap around us to protect us from all bad things. But here's the thing. He's not talking about uh, making everything new around us. He's talking about making something new inside us. He's talking about making something new in our hearts and in our minds. He's talking about the fact that when that flood does come and, and, and destroy the homes of the Christians and the ones who are not Christians, that they'll respond differently. While those who are not Christians might shake their fist at God and say, why did you do this to me? I've lost everything I've worked for my whole life. The Christians respond with, wow, I lost everything, but God saved me. 
both physically and spiritually. You see, our response is different because there's something new inside us. He's making our spirits new. The fact is, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we have the ability to be made new. He went to the cross and paid for our sins and defeated everything that is wrong in the world, including our own sin and our own suffering and even death itself. Easter was the day that Jesus rose from the dead and confirmed his victory. And that victory, folks, can be manifest in our hearts and in our lives. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, one of the things when you read and study God's word, one of the very important things to understand is the tense of verses, the tense of phrases. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ currently, he is a new creation. It's already happened, folks. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're not looking forward to being a new creation. You already are a new creation. When you gave your life to Christ and the Holy Spirit came to indwell in you to begin changing and transforming your heart and your mind, you became a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, not will come. It's not saying the new will come someday. Just wait for it. Have hope in it. No, the hope is it's already here. It's already in me. I already have the ability through the Holy Spirit in me, that when I face that temptation that I have, have struggled with my whole life, that I have given into time after time after time after time, now I have the Holy Spirit in my life to help me have victory over that. Am I going to do it perfectly? No. But am I going to do it far better? Yes. Yes. When my uh, uh, friends or my family... Um, treat me in a terrible way instead of having this rage, uh, you know, just come up in me and want to try to get me to respond in a very negative and painful way. I can let the Holy Spirit in me guide me and have love and compassion for them. I mean, there are a thousand circumstances, folks, where God's Spirit in us wants to make us new, is making us new if we will yield to him. But listen, God rarely, sometimes, but rarely forces his will, forces himself on anybody. The fact is we experience his victory in our lives only as much as we yield to him. You can go out from here today and whether you know Christ or not, you can do exactly what you want to do, how you want to do it, And he will rarely stop you. But he will discipline you. He will lovingly help you understand how to turn from those things and give him your life more. But folks, I want you to understand today that God doesn't just have a plan for making the world new. He has a plan for making you new if you will just respond to him. And that starts by putting your faith and trust in him. That starts by looking and seeing what Jesus did on the cross, how he paid for our sins, how he lived a perfect life and gave it up to pay for our sinfulness. 
And not by being religious, not by giving money, not by helping the poor, not by being a good person, not by any other thing can you have access to freedom from your sin except putting your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross to pay for your sins. It starts there, folks, but it's a daily thing. It's about yielding to him. If you want to live this new life, then when he is convicting you to to share the gospel with somebody, do it. Give in. Yield to him. You're going to see him do cool things with your life. When it comes to serving him and him putting something on your heart in some way to serve the body of Christ, do it. Don't, you know, don't just hesitate. Just do it. God has a great plan for our lives, folks. The problem is that most of the time, we just decide to do our own thing instead of get involved in his plan for us. He wants to make us new. And we experience that newness in direct relationship to how much we yield to him. John 3.16 says this, and you, if you have been in church very much, you've probably heard it or memorized it. If you watch sports, you've seen it referenced. But listen to what it really says. I, even if you just kind of go over this, it's like, a, it's like a hymn you've sang a thousand times. You forget to understand what it means. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now that word have is interesting in the English language because even in this sentence, it can mean either current tense or future tense. You see, you could read that one of two ways in English. You could say, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have, future tense, have someday eternal life. You can read it that way. You can read it with a current tense. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life right now. In the original language, folks, it's not a future tense. The English language is a little bit uh, uh, lacking here. What it's saying is if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you know when your eternal life starts? It doesn't start the day you die. It starts the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are already living your eternal life. It's never going to stop. It's not going to stop when you die and then restart. Okay, it's not like getting the paddles on you. Okay, you just, you just, it's a transition. You're already living the eternal life. You've already got it. And nothing can separate you from God's love. Folks, we've shared this series with you about God's love, saying this is love because we want to paint a picture for you. We wanted you to see just the way that God loves you. And, and starting with Easter and throughout this series, we wanted you to see that whether death or life or whatever comes, God loves you and he's made it so apparent that you almost can't miss it. You only have to choose whether or not to respond to it. So we want to encourage you today. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus already, yield to him. 
Yield to him day by day, moment by moment. Live for him. Let him lead you and experience that new life that is already in you on a daily basis. But if you haven't yet put your faith and trust in him, do it today. Do it today. Just pray to him and say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm part of this messed up world. I give my life to you. I put my faith and trust in what you did on the cross to save me. And I trust in that and that alone. Come into my life. Make me new. I give my life to you. Just a simple prayer like that. And if you mean it, if your heart is in it, the reality is he will come in and make you new today. Don't delay that. Don't delay that, folks. I know people who have delayed and suffered the consequences. Don't delay that. Don't delay that. We want you to know that this is love. Love that makes all things new, including you. Let's pray. Father, we, thank, we are so thankful for your love and your mercy and your grace. God, we know that we rely on ourselves at times and we fail you miserably. God, help us. Help us to live this newness of life out. Help us to yield to you day by day and moment by moment. Help us in those moments where we are faced with a why in the road to just be reminded that you have given us new life. God, help us to just live for you, to listen to your spirit and your word as they speak to us. Lord, if there's anyone here who has not yet put their faith and trust in you, I pray that you would knock on the door of their heart in a very loud manner. I pray that tonight as they go to sleep, they would lie in bed and stare at the ceiling and just not be able to go to sleep until they yield to you. Father, help us to be your light and your salt to a world that desperately needs to see you. Help us as individuals and us as a church to reflect you appropriately and correctly in the world. God, use us to grow your kingdom. We love you. We love you because you have first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.